this is Jack Hart, and uh, I'm proud to be on my own son's podcast. The From the Heart podcast is presented by Orange Kiwi Consulting. The three most challenging transitions owners face, scale, sale, and succession, often result in a costly and confusing journey, but it doesn't have to be that way. Orange Kiwi helps their clients succeed where others fail by navigating the challenges others can't. Find out how Orange Kiwi helps you avoid the costly and confusing journey to realize the results you're looking for with less stress and more satisfaction. Visit their website, orangekiwillc.com. Choose Contact Us. Enter the promo code HLG2020 for a complimentary 30-minute consultation. You gave a, uh, uh, what I thought was just an excellent uh recount of some of the of some of your favorite interviews over the past year right around january 1st i don't remember the exact date but out of that i listened to the whole thing and there were four lots of pearls but there were four stood out enough that i actually made a note of them and i'm going to share those to, to start uh first of all and i'm not going to mention only one name uh but but uh uh the first pearl was, quote, there is a spiritual power in us to help other people. Isn't that strong when you stop to think about it? And the next one, get in touch with your heart. Find the constant in your life. Boy, what good advice. A third one is from our beloved president of Cal State Fullerton, Fran Virgie. Dr. Virgie says, be a good Samaritan who can't be okay unless others are. He had pearl on pearl, but this one stood out to me. And the, the final one I wrote down is don't just be kind, find ways to be kind, be proactive in the matter of being kind. Uh, I think your own wife is uh, perfect example of, of that kind of thing. And so many in the family are. I'd have to admit, generally women in our family, but there's some guys that are doing a great job uh, too, including the interviewer here. So anyway, go ahead. Well, I think we can sum up the interview right there because you just summed up yourself the way most of us see you. So well, for those of you who are joining us for the first time on the From the Heart podcast today, I don't always interview my dad, um, but uh, today, the day that we're recording this is January 25th, 2021. The day we're going to air the entire episode will be Thursday, January 28th, which will be his 94th birthday, born in 1927. Last week, we honored uh, the life of Tommy Lasorda. We talked on that a little bit about one of my dad's and my heroes as well, Vin Scully, longtime broadcaster for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And the reason I bring up Tommy and Vinny in the same sentence with my dad is not only three class amazing gentlemen who have had a massive influence on my life, no one like the man you're about to listen to right now, but they're also all three born in 1927. So there's something about that year, something good in the water in 1926 when, or, or thereabouts when the uh, you all three were conceived in 27 when you were all born. So let me just start Pops, by saying what an honor it is to, I mean, we talk every day and it's just, but it's really fun for me to be able to 
honor you today and to celebrate your life and celebrate your stories and experiences, let's just do a quick word association with a couple of names. All those two I just mentioned, talk about your impressions and experiences of Tommy Lasorda, who you have known of virtually your whole life. Oh my gosh, Tommy Lasorda is a family jewel. Um, took you boys to the Dodger Stadium, I don't know, I would say an average of 12 times a year yeah. as you were growing up. That might be low even. We, we did every chance we had. We've been Dodger True Blue fans forever. Tommy is one of the great reasons. I can still see him flopping down <laughs> on his belly trying to stop a runner from going from second to third. <laughs> and also jumping up and waving uh, like only he could to try to get him to go on to third and maybe even to home. Tommy was always so full of picturesque motion and action and you could hear him up in the stands where we were it seemed like because it was just just tommy yeah, yeah. What a, by what the a, way there's another famous man of that era uh famous to all of us and that's elaine's brother jack he's actually uh i think a year older than i am is he so there you go not so the senior in the family you're not the senior that's right brother uncle jack uh the pentecostal pastor over in phoenix arizona Still alive and kicking and going well. So that's yeah, one very good one. Yeah, absolutely. So Vin Scully, I grew up listening to him. He was the, you were the voice in one ear. He was the voice in the other. Um, what about you? What about you? Um, Cause you heard Vinny back before he came to LA and obviously when the Dodgers came to LA. Knew uh, Vinny way back in the Red Grange days. Uh, is that name familiar to anybody? It is to me, absolutely, absolutely. That goes back beyond Vinny, and and uh, watched Vinny develop over his. So he didn't need to develop; he was great from the day he stepped into the booth. And he just had a very natural talent, and I think one of the most enjoyable things I have on the wall, including a picture of your own book, but I have the that great picture of Vinny that where you got him to actually sign it for for me uh, what a great thing yeah that was Vinny uh, is is one alone absolutely 90th birthday present and the present for me was watching you open it and the second present for me was they also signed one for me which i didn't ask for which was pretty amen neat. So, and amen well we could go and and the power of editing when it comes to doing podcasts is where we can go in chronological order of your life or we can just talk whatever comes to mind i've got a lot of different things that 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 come to mind and uh rather than me telling any of your story and your chronological order. I will just share, as I mentioned, my dad, Jack Hart, uh, was born in 1927 um, here in Southern California. Married my mom, Elaine Hart, in 1948. Started a family in 49 with my oldest brother, Steve, and then Sandy, and then Ginny, and then Ken. And then in 1964, as my brothers and sisters say, this little mistake came along. I like to say I was a little surprised, but that's okay. So. <laughs> Father of five, um, let's just, I, I can't have a conversation with you without starting about mom. Um, married nearly 70 years and um, take us back, uh, just how you met, when you fell in love, just when you knew this was going to be your future bride. Boy, I love talking about this one. Yeah. Um, she's actually uh, one of the two best decisions I've made in my life and I may say this more than once because it's me. Um, I fell in love with Elaine and married Elaine 
which was my prayer, was my first and uh, best decision. And my second one was accepting Christ as my savior. Those two stand out, lots of decisions, but uh, those absolutely stand out. I fell in love with Elaine as a junior in high school. One night when I went over to her house and our purpose was to study. She knew Latin and I knew math and we were gonna put them together. And that night we opened not one single book and we played <laughs> records until into the far wee hours of the morning and danced. And I went home without my Monrovia High School Letterman sweater, which was the symbol those days of going steady. And uh, in my mind, we went steady the rest of our life. Um, I think mom had some gaps in her hers, but I didn't have any. I, I knew that uh, I would either marry her or nobody. That's, that's how I fell in love with her. So you're 1948, you'd have been 21. So you're back from World War II. So take us prior to World War II and you're out of high school now and you're getting ready to leave to go overseas for a while. What was going through your heart and your mind about whether or not mom was going to stick around for you? A story. Um, I had passed a test to become a naval officer in what they called the V-12 program. But when I went to Los Angeles and took the physical exam, I flunked it because I had a heart murmur. And I was actually literally depressed because I thought I was gonna spend the rest of War II at Caltech studying engineering and being a Naval officer. And that sounded pretty cool. Um, so I called mom, told her, could we meet and talk? We met at the Pines Coffee Shop in Arcadia. And uh, as she did, so many times in our life, she brought me from depressed. Okay, what are we going to do now? That's where we went. And that's the way she worked and worked in my life and her life. And she was, as you well know, uh, just a, a bucket full of energy, positive <laughs> energy in the family that we all benefited from, me most of all. That's that's a story that I love. And I, I refreshed it in my mind just day before yesterday when I drove up to Arcadia for another reason and drove by what used to be the Pines Coffee Shop. Yeah, mom always had the reputation in our family. For those that don't know, she passed in February. It'll be four years. Um, she had the reputation of when, when someone's honest with you and it hurts a little bit in that moment, we say they're brutally honest. But when we look back, at least for me, when I look back, when someone's been quote unquote brutally honest with me, it's usually been a very big growing moment for me. And um, I'm sure a lot of people feel the same way. I came home from probably midway through my senior year in high school baseball. I was on the best high school baseball team you could ever be on. And there's other stories that we can get into on that. But I was down because I wasn't playing. I was, you know, I, I and deservedly so, but I sat down with mom at the kitchen table and I said, you know, mom, I'm just, I'm really, really bummed out that I'm not getting to play very much and she looked at me and she says well hon you know you know why you're not playing as much as the other guys and i said why is that she goes you're just not as good as they are <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, not, not what an 18 year old boy wanted to hear in the moment but it certainly got me That's working true. a little bit harder and i think it was within a week or two i finally got in the lineup so 
That was, uh, you know, it was, it was not easy to hear then, but it definitely did its purpose. And I've thought about that a lot over my life, that Certainly, I'm we, not we, getting what I want. It might be because I'm not working as hard as everybody else. So We would both say never did a dishonest word come out of our mouth, ever. No, as many times as we wanted it to, it didn't. Yeah. So, so prior to mom, you were born in 27. So that means you were raised really in your early formative years in the Great Depression. What was like, life like for you with your parents? I know your sister Carol came along when you were 13. Talk a little bit about just, you know, what you remember. How did those years form who you are today, 90 years later? Well, okay, that's an easy one. Uh, though they were not born-again Christians, my mom and my dad were absolutely crucial to my uh, growing up, uh, each in a different way. Uh, dad was uh, Mr. Morality, pretty stern, um, and uh, I'd say even judgmental but warm and loving at the same time. I had the greatest respect uh, for dad. And uh, when he'd come out and play catch with me was a highlight in my, my young life as I grew up in Arcadia, an area called San Anito Oaks. Mom, on the other hand, was, I'm convinced, a born again Christian. And what I got from mom was the love of Christ. Uh, and uh, I will, will never forget her last words to me. Uh, before she passed away, was uh, uh, be sure and stay in Christ. Wow. And that's not the exact phrasing, but that's the meaning of it. And uh, uh, they were mom and dad. And, and uh, I was an only child <clears throat> until Carol came along. And I was so proud when she did. <laughs> I was 13 years older, and I went to uh, grammar school at the uh, First Avenue in Arcadia, probably the eighth grade, and uh, was just bragging to everybody that I had a little sister, and I'm still bragging about that little sister who's now suffering from uh, cancer and handling it so well. And knowing my Aunt Carol very well, she brags about you as well. So it's ironic, you became a, a big brother at the same age I became an uncle when Celine came around. So I remember bragging about my little niece, and you were bragging about your little sister. What stands out if there's a lesson? So obviously very different parenting styles between your dad and your mom, as you just alluded to. Said again, I'm having a little just, trouble hearing. Yeah, just uh, different parenting styles, obviously, between your dad and your mom. What, what, any one big lesson with your dad? I mean, your mom, obviously, you just shared stay in Christ. That's, that's, you can't give, give better lesson as a parent. Anything stand out that you've taken with you? Because you're not, no one would describe you the way you just described your dad. And so I'm curious what lesson you pulled away from him in your life. I, Dad was stern, uh, to my mind, uh, possibly slightly to a fault. Um, and I think maybe I uh, adjusted a little too far in the other direction uh, as a part of that, because I, as you know, uh, uh, I, as I look back on it, I was too much of a softy uh, and uh, had it to do over again, would have tightened it up a little bit, I believe, for well, your own good. You raised but, five pretty good kids, I think. But yeah, we could all have gotten probably, you know, I didn't have to worry too much about the belt growing up as a kid, that's for sure. <laughs> no, so. no. Well, Dad never used a belt either. I don't remember ever a physical thing, a spanking or anything like that from either mom or dad. Got one from grandma one time when I disobeyed. Hmm. Uh, grandma was a big, big influence in our life, too. Uh, my mom's mom yeah. and for mom it was warmth and 
honesty and uh, a lot of Elaine Hart and mom, uh, they, they, they really love each other. Mom was really glad when she knew I was gonna marry Elaine way younger than, I, than uh, what had been the plan for my life. Dad was not. Dad thought that if I got married that young that I wouldn't finish college. Well, that <laughs> turned out to be one of the best things in the world because one thing Elaine and I were absolutely certain of uh, that I was going to finish college. Yeah. And, uh, and we, you instilled we, that in your kids. We have, I don't know how many college degrees combined between the yeah. both of us, but yeah, there's certainly a lot of uh, love and, and emphasis on education in our family. Yeah, I guess we're five for five, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're um, growing up, so obviously two great role models, mom and dad. Other other teachers, leaders, coaches, anybody stand out to you? Let's go. Er, I know we're going to get later into your Beckman years about some of those influences. But yes. Let's talk earlier now <clears throat> in the 30s, 40s, 50s, in your younger part of your life that really you know, still stand out as your role models. I'll go to, um, I guess in the 30s, it's certainly my parents. Um, and also in the 40s, but in, in the 40s, another man stands out, and his name is Roy Bearden, and R Roy was the uh, pro at the Santa Anita Golf Course. He also had the concession um, for, you know, the golf clubs and all of that, and uh, it was a Los Angeles County course, and, and uh, Roy had that job, and on weekends, I ran the pro shop uh, Roy trusted me to do that, and it went fine until one uh, Sunday. I came up forty dollars short in the register, a lot of money in those mm -hmm. days, and I was uh, panicked. And and then even more so when I got a, a message from Roy that he wanted to talk to me, and I was absolutely certain that meant the end of my uh, career as a pro shop worker on weekends as a kid. He sat me down on a bench outside of the pro shop there, and it was dusk turning toward dark. And he said, uh, I want you to know, you do a terrific job. That was not your fault. Somebody got into that register, and uh, you had no way of controlling that. Uh, and uh, I just want you to know, don't beat yourself up, because... Uh, you are a trusted guy and you got the job as long as you'll take it. And, uh, that was Roy Beard. Wow. And, uh, that, that's just one story. There were many, There's a little too much alcohol in his life. Uh, aside from that, I, I saw nothing but goodness. You've told me that lesson over the years. So what has that meant to you? I know what it meant to you that day. I can only imagine, but now, I figure, you know, probably 75 years later or more. Um, what is that? What, how have you used that lesson throughout your life, either passing it on to others, more than just passing the story, but passing the message of the story, or just how has it helped you in, in rough times throughout your life? Well, yeah, I think it, uh, I, I think what it did for me is show me that, boy, the word trust is huge. And uh, that I would be looking for that in people to admire and uh, uh, put my bid in for them. And it turned out that way. I think they're over the years and uh, we'll probably come to them, but maybe uh, four different people 
that that served as as mentors, you know, as as we went along, yeah. different stages in my life. Well, let's, rather than going in chronological order, let's stay on this topic then. Let's stay on that topic of mentors. I know a few others you might mention, but take me to one or two from from your uh, war years in the in the forties, World War II. I know a great story that you've shared, and I've shared it on your behalf in many settings as well. But um, about your sergeant and and what you uh, what you learned at Camp Roberts. That story is a, <clears throat> a favorite of mine. We I basic training at uh, Camp Roberts as an infantryman. By the way, after I had flunked out of being a, a, a desk-bound naval officer, uh, the government, always in their wisdom, put me in the Army infantry with uh, the toughest physical training I've ever had in my life with a heart murmur. And uh, so that was 16 weeks at Camp Roberts. And the first, I'd say 13, 14, Weeks was under a Captain Getty, who we all loved. Uh, I would have thought he was my mentor. But then along came a guy. Uh, Captain Getty didn't show up one day heading our um, company, which was four platoons and a couple hundred men. And uh, this guy, do you remember his name, Ed? Uh, I'll I've dig it up. And, so many yeah, times and, I do have it printed out somewhere. Name even slips me, but the, the face of the man doesn't because he was only there for a couple of weeks, during which time uh, we grew, we started uh, disliking him because Captain Getty wasn't there. We started disliking him because of him, and uh, we started hating him uh, <laughs> because of every time anybody put a cigarette butt on the ground or said a wrong word. The whole company had to do 50 push push-ups, and then the word was, "You didn't do them right. Let's do them again." And uh, this man was on our the top of our wish I'd never met him list, and mm -hmm. and uh, that all lasted until we graduated, when he gave a tear-jerking speech about these mentors that bring tears. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I see where I get it now. I cry at everything, and now I see where I get it. <laughs> yeah. Had said yesterday, I cried a refrigerator sales. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not quite that way, but a little bit. Uh, pretty close. <laughs> anyway, th this uh, th this guy who was a major, by the way, said that he was that way because it was our only chance of survival at that time. War II was still going on, and it looked very much like we would be in the front lines of combat, where uh, really only uh, a minority made it through usually and that the only real chance we had of making it through was to be really really tough and the way that would happen would be to uh, be led by uh, what he was doing to us and it turned out uh, for us and we turned around and walked off the uh, platform and away and out of our life uh, forever uh, I don't think there was a dry eye yeah. You know? Yeah, and I think you've shared with me in, in, in the write-up on that. It's on my blog. I'll dig that up and put a link to it when we post this, uh, that he talked about his job was to make sure that you survive. And uh, that, that uh, I'm glad he did his job. <laughs> we wouldn't be having this conversation today or any of the others we've had in, in my last 56 years. So I appreciate him probably more than you do. Keep on going. So you've talked about Roy. You've talked about your drill sergeants. You've talked to now. You said there's a couple other mentors. You know, go well, ahead. Well, I guess for the, maybe the next one that bounces 
to mind uh, as we talk right now is uh, Professor Orm Phelps at Claremont Men's College, where I got my business degree, later became a Trojan, yep. where Beckman Instruments paid for my master's degree. Uh, but the memory is with Dr. Phelps at Claremont, who uh, really was, an, again, a, a tough teacher. Uh, he developed in me a love for the subject of employee management relationships. And in those days, particularly union management relationships. And uh, partly as a result of his training and, and lecturing and uh, he would meet with us after class and in his home and all, all kinds of extra things. Uh, Dr. Phelps had been uh, an executive for Ford Motor Company and resigned from that to become a, a professor at Harvard and then at Claremont. And, uh, and uh, certainly my, my mentor. Uh, and uh, I talked many times to him about that's what I wanted my career to be, which indeed it turned out to be at, at Beckman Instruments. That was my job working to do the best I could to help in the matter of the employee uh, and management relationships. And as a matter of fact, was got to play a, a good role in uh, over 15 different union elections. And while Dr. Beckman, uh, who is an idol of mine, um, had nothing against unions as such. As a matter of fact, he thought they were needed in many cases in industry over the years, but he wanted to run our company in such a way that employees would not feel a union, uh, a need for a union, because he wanted to deal directly uh, with the employees. And he did up until it got too big, he would hand out the paychecks himself personally and, and all that kind of thing. So. Orm Phelps and Dr. Beckman are certainly on the mentor. Sure. Uh, high, high, high list. By the way, uh, Orm Phelps, uh, I was so honored when I retired uh, from Beckman after 40 years of service, uh, I got a phone call from Dr. Phelps, wow. who was a professor emeritus at Claremont at that time. And uh, he always called me Ivan. Hmm. And he said, I'd I just remember you so well, and I, I want to congratulate you for your career. Da, 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 you know. Wow, that's huge. That's huge. Number one, that he was still around after all those years, and number two, that he remembered you, and number three, uh, I was I was you. dumbfounded, and uh, yeah. and uh, oh, I think I probably primed the prompt because I'm sure a few times over the years I had placed a call to Claremont for an input from him. Sure. May yeah. have been a Christmas card or two as well, if I know you and mom. I'm sure there were Christmas cards going yeah. back and forth over the years. Yeah. Yeah. Matter family? of fact, he, he located uh, the man that I finally was successful in uh, locating and hiring as my replacement. Oh, wow. Um, That's fantastic. Now, you also mentioned when we prepared for this, Don Strauss, who was your boss for a number of years at Beck. Oh. Can't talk about mentors without talking about Don. Don is right up there with Dr. Beckman, uh, a model of honesty and uh, trustworthiness, belief in his people. Uh, boy, I knew he trusted me, and that made me feel like I am not going to 
do anything, hopefully, to, to uh, cause him to worry, wonder about that at all. I got had the honor of being the MC at his uh, memorial service, and I still have touch with his wonderful kids. Wonderful. I'm going to edit a lot, not take anything out, but I'm going to put things in different order when we put this up. So I want to stay on the topic of mentorship and leadership a little bit longer, if you're okay with it. And then I want to get into some details in your life. But um, what advice, lower your screen a little bit, Pop, so we can see you all right now. I just see the top of your head. There we go. Perfect. All right. For those that are watching. Yeah. As you talk to someone, if you were talking to a young man or young woman who is just entering into their career, getting out of college, what advice or mentorship or what first thing that comes to mind for you that you would tell someone that's just getting started in their career? Starting in in your career? Yeah. Any advice Um, that you'd give to that person? Well, I think, I guess one piece of advice is that I hope you have a mentor and that would not be me. You know, I've been out of business and that kind of thing for so many years that I'm not current enough to be a good mentor for someone. I think of, of uh, Riley, for example, who's on the verge of graduating from, from Biola. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, my advice to her would be to find uh, some person or persons who is uh, successful and honest and establish a mentee relationship that, that would be helpful in, in going forward. Uh, I'm still from the old school, and, and that is you, you have a decision to make whether to go into your own business uh, or to go to work for somebody else. And I think either are good decisions. It's kind of what fits what you want uh, the most. And, and it may be that either w- would, would work out good. But um, if it's, if it's to go to work for a company, be sure you pick one of high integrity and uh, good financials. Uh, you, you want it to be sound. Yeah. Uh, those kind of things would come to mind. Some of the advice you gave me as I was going into my career, one of the things that always stood out to me, and I don't think I always did this as well as I should have, but in hindsight, I, I will do better as I go forward, and that is to always make your boss look good. Oh, how good. Yeah, I love that those words stuck with me and stick with me at age 56. And I hope that for the rest of my career, and I hope that uh, if my boss is listening, that I hope you feel like I've been making you look good. Wow, I'm glad you refreshed me on that one. That's that's certainly one to share with Riley. Yeah, that's that's a good one. There's a lot of advice that you've given me over the years, and I quote you all the time. You know, one is don't burn bridges. Um, You know, there's just, and that's one thing that I look at in your life is Mm. you've you've maintained the relationships. And I I look at that example of your professor from Claremont as an example, not that you would have burned that bridge, but, you know, decades later from the time he was your professor to the time you retired, you were still getting a phone call from him congratulating you on your retirement. That says a lot about, about him and about you, obviously. So Beckman Instruments, 39 years, retired as the vice president of what was then called personnel. Uh, now we've moved it to human resources, to talent management, to I don't even know what they call it anymore, people management. <laughs> it's, it's the vice president of people. And, um, 
you know, I watched you in your career. I was influenced. I was born in 64. So you'd been at Beckman about 12 years at that time. So you're really just kind of getting started when I came along, which means I got to watch your entire career until I was at least 27 when you or 37 when no 27, I guess I would have been when you retired. Um, hard to say what stands out in a 39 year career, but uh, you chose the path of human resources or personnel or again, people management. Why that career? Why not manufacturing or sales? Or were there ever any regrets or times when you thought maybe I'm going to make a shift in my career? And, and why or why or not? Why or why not? Did you not make those? And then um, just highlights that stand up for you and your career at Beckman. What a great full question. <laughs> Stop me if I go too long. No, take your time. Because I think there were three occasions uh, and uh, when it might have gone a different direction uh, than the employee relation. We, we went through all kinds of names for the department. Nobody ever got happy with any of them. Mm -hmm. I think the one that stuck most of my career was one called employee relations. Although my uh, department, I was in charge really of that and shareholder relations as well and, and the community relations. Although in each of those other two, I had guys far more talented than me running them. And all I did was uh, the formalities. They ran those those functions, uh, Bob Crittenden and Bill Gregory. So anyway, where was I? Three different things. Um, number one, I was uh, asked by Earl Jansen to be interviewed once. He wanted to try to make uh, get me to move from employee relations where I was under Don Strauss and Don was some not very old and it looked like I would be number two man for a long time there and uh, Earl thought that I would have a better career ladder in manufacturing also Earl being vice president of manufacturing believed in manufacturing and, and we got along great and so I was interviewed by that. Mom and I spent a weekend in Palm Springs uh, trying to decide whether or not to accept his offer and came back thinking that really it's the people relationships in the company that are my passion and that I'm going to stick with what I'm doing. And if I'm number two for the whole time, so be it. Uh, and uh, because Don Strauss was more than worthy uh, to be the, the lead of it. Turned out Don became ill at one time and uh, I became his replacement during that time. And as a result of that was chosen when he retired uh, for the top job. So, okay, that was one. Then uh, being number two man, we had a consultant come to Beckman at one time and uh, they liked what they saw and uh, told another of their clients, which was Riverside Cement, about me. Riverside Cement had an opening for vice president of uh, what they called employee relations, a company of similar size to Beckman Instruments hmm. at that point. And uh, I was interviewed for that job. I never actually got the offer because I uh, made the decision prior to any chance of an offer that I would not be leaving Beckman Instruments. 
Um, I was by then totally in love with the company yeah. and the people. And uh, well, I thought uh, Bob Salyard was the consultant's name. He was a great guy and everything, but I decided not to do that. And there was a third thing. I don't know if I've ever told you about or not, but uh, does the uh, term Project 4 come to your mind at all? No, Riverside Cement's a new one to me as well, but Project 4, I've not heard. I'd love to hear yeah, this. All these things, it's funny. Yeah. How, uh, even as much as we're together, there's things still to come out, I guess. Yeah, um, at, at one point, Mom and I got the idea that we were in love with golf and that we were going to take a big gamble, and that would be to try to be an entrepreneur hmm. starting a golf course. Wow. And we even targeted the area, which now is Green River Golf Course. Hmm. And I don't remember why that uh, we finally made a decision. I think we probably decided we were financially in over our heads hmm. uh, to try to do something like that. Um, uh, I think although probably equally important was that uh, I was crazy about Beckman as a place to be. And I'm still very glad that I stayed right on that train. Interesting. We played Green River Golf Course together dozens of times in my childhood. And I don't, <laughs> yeah. if you told me the story, I was probably too busy throwing my golf club at a bad shot and not really listening to the, <laughs> to the life lessons. I, I did that a couple of times, but. Uh, I love that yeah. story. Are you going to tell it by the way? Told uh, I don't remember which one. I think it may, may have been Hank Aaron that he spent 30 years. Uh, yeah, it took him uh, 17 you can years. Tell better to, than me. Yeah, someone sent it to me yesterday as well. Uh, Paul Stover, who I work with at Cal State Fullerton, sent me this text. And we're big baseball fans, the two of us. And as obviously, I got that love from my dad here and my older brothers. But the quote from Hank Aaron was, uh, it took me 17 years to get 3,000 hits in baseball and one afternoon on the golf course. <laughs> <laughs> I've shared it with a lot of people, and I love that one. That's, uh, if anybody <laughs> listening has played golf, you'll, you're laughing at That's me. that one. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, I wish, I wish a high score in golf was the same as a high score in bowling, that's for sure. So, 39 years one of the things that is so uncommon these days is for people myself included i've been in my role with cal state fullerton for 10 years now and that's i feel like i've been i mean i feel like i've been there a lifetime not in a bad way but in a good way and i have so much pride and love for the university and the people there as well and for what i get to do with family businesses you talk a lot as you described these different opportunities that came your way and the people you worked with at Beckman. I'm guessing the answer to my question is probably in the question, but what is it about Beckman and about that role that you were in that when you look back now, you know, retired 30, you know, well, how many years has it been? Nearly 30 years. I had 30 years ago this year, actually, that you retired from Beckman. Why? You've been retired from Beckman almost as long as you worked there. What is it that, that you look back now, three decades later, that makes you say those words that I just loved it so much? I think that two things stand out in answer to that question. One is I had tremendous respect for so many people in key management. And uh, well, I joined that team as uh, very much the youngest at that, at that time. Uh, these guys, I, I thought, uh, uh, to a person where I had reasons for lots of uh, 
respect for them and, and trust in their ability and their particular function in the company. That was one thing. The other thing is I was, and all of us were always very proud of the fact that our product was one which made the world better. Um, starting with the uh, pH meter and the spectrophotometer and, uh, and the helipots, and then going on into so many other um, instruments that Dr. Beckman himself developed, my friend Jim Sternberg uh, developed, Randy Davis, um, many, uh, it was, we were proud of, of the part we played in, in the business uh, community. I think that's it right there. I think that's when, when, when I talk to people who are either bouncing around in jobs or thinking about leaving, it's usually because some of those things, one of those big factors might be missing. And uh, I appreciate you over the years teaching me the value of people. And, and uh, often people say Jack Hart never met a person he didn't love. I've heard people say I never met a man I didn't like, but with you, I, I can't think of anybody I've ever heard you talk about without it being someone that you just really loved and respected. And I know that that mirrors back to you from, from so many of my friends and colleagues and people that, that have met you. And um, so this is the part of the podcast where I get to just tell you, thank you. I mean, I've told you, thank you my whole life, but I can't thank you enough for that. Those lessons, you know, those Ed, loving uh, people that you taught let me. Let me interrupt that for a second. I, I hope I haven't been that to a fault because I was listening to Dr. McGee this morning, which I do mm -hmm. every single morning of my life on the, uh, through the Bible radio, uh, <clears throat> he starts my day and has for years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but this morning he said, if, if everybody likes you, um, then you're not doing everything right. Because hmm. uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, no, that is true. And there will be people. All right. That's an interesting, interesting thought. Is yeah, there, interesting thought. yeah, don't, uh, don't name names unless you choose to. Uh, and I'm guessing like, like I heard George Burns say once the best thing about turning a hundred was there very, it was very little peer pressure. You're turning, yeah. you're turning 94 That's this week. A good one. Yeah, you're turning 94. So I'm, my hunch is that if there's a story or two of someone that maybe you didn't get along with, that person may not be here any longer. Um, no, there is a story. I'd, okay. Yeah, uh, I'd love to hear that. As a matter of fact, we wound up, uh, well, not your names. He's going to heaven, Bob Bauman. Okay. And I didn't get along at all. And uh, wound up, I was also the speaker at his Hmm. A memorial service. So take us we, through that. How did you go from you didn't get along? Well, that's a lesson a lot of us can learn. There's a lot of people all of us have trouble getting along with. So what what yeah. was it? And how hmm. did that transition to the point where you would be speaking at his funeral? I think uh, we both stuck to our guns and may, maybe came to respect that. Um, <laughs> I like to think of it as Bob changed. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> he, he probably Thinks of it as Jack changed. <laughs> and that's probably true. That's probably both true. Yeah, I love that. I don't know. He was, well, I, I'm not even going to go into why sure. on it because uh, his, uh, I think his beloved wife, Jerry, is still, still living and a wonderful lady. I think she was, in, in one sense, like mom, probably a catalyst in sure and making things better yeah that tends to work i know that's how it works in this house as well <laughs> so yeah yeah, yeah. lorianne is very very good at uh, making sure that you know i'm looking oh. at all the all sides of the story before making a decision about the story which is really oh good. is so she ever wow definitely definitely helps that's for sure hello my name is john royce lynch founder and ceo of pcma private client 
As a former professional surfer and native of Southern California, I have always enjoyed Wahoo's fish tacos. When the pandemic hit, the response by Wahoo's was unparalleled, creating the California Love Drop by supporting frontline workers and those in need. On behalf of the PCMA private client community and our amazing team, it is an honor to be able to support this noble effort. To lend a hand and to learn more, please visit californialovedrop.org. Let's talk about your early love for sports. And uh, you taught my brother yeah. Steve, my brother Ken, even my sisters Sandy and Ginny have a, a love for sports as well. Um, the, the sports that stand out for me, obviously golf, which we've alluded to, and we will again. Uh, baseball, uh, early on the Angels, and more recently, not recently, but I mean, I remember 1988 sitting next to you in your living room where we still watch games to this day and jumping up and down when Kurt Gibson hit that famous home run in the 88 World Series when I was just 24, so that was 33 years ago. And obviously USC football, and there's others, but take me back to your early love for, for sports and how it started and just early, any memories of, of why at age 94 you still love sports in general. Uh, it probably goes back to dad. Yeah. Dad was a good baseball player. Um, I, as I think I mentioned earlier, a game of catch with dad was seven. Um, he, I can't yet throw a curveball like he could. <laughs> but, uh, when we'd play catch occasionally, he mix one up, which I would miss because it was such a good, hmm. uh, good curveball and he'd laugh. Hmm. And, uh, but uh, I think I loved it so much is, is why I always just thrilled at any chance to play whatever kind of baseball with you guys. Uh, if it was over the fence with you and Ken uh, hitting fly balls and playing the games we put together, going to your little league games, uh, whatever I it's why I, you know I think it's just born in to this family I yeah. we just seem to be uh to a person you know lovers of sports uh, a part of it is that there's so many lessons in life in sports that are just everywhere uh it serves as, as a great I think trainer for life and uh <clears throat> it's fun it's just fun <laughs> Sure, and and it's a it's a way to step aside from whatever else may be a well like today. There's lots today that could really drive me bananas if I thought about it too much in the way I think our country is going and so forth. When getting in, involved in a baseball game or a golf game, in particular just takes me out of it and yeah i i don't know long, long answer but i just i do love sports uh -huh. no i think I, sh I share that same sentiment for the same reasons it's a it, it's not a necessarily that it's an escape as and maybe that is what it is but really yeah. it's a chance to i mean when we're watching a game together we're bonding we're eating we're having a beer we're yeah for our team when we're playing golf you know we've spent a lot of time on the golf course over the years, uh, a personal story that I'll tell very quickly. When I turned 12, um, my parents came to me and said, we, we are in a position now financially, I'm the youngest of five, so definitely the most spoiled of the five of us, no question there. I'm not gonna even try to deny that one. But they offered up uh, lessons of some kind and you know, tennis, golf, 
baseball hitting lessons, piano, guitar, whatever. And when dad mentioned golf, I went right back to that because number one, you played golf. And it's like, well, here's an opportunity to spend more time with my dad. But also I saw the joy that you got in it and the friendships that you got in it from people that you worked with and, and others. And, and what I love about playing golf is that for anywhere from two to five hours, depending on how much you're playing that day, you have a chance to just really bond with, you know, one to three other people on the course and tell stories and laugh. And still to this day, my favorite memories are, are you know, I love playing golf with my wife, Lorianne. She learned the game and we love playing. And my favorite uh, foursome is you and Lorianne and, and Justin, my, my son, Lorianne's and our oldest son. And there's so many others, you know, playing with my sister and my brothers and other kids and the list goes on. But those Thanksgivings when the four of us get together and, and get out and tee it up together is really, really fun. And it's not necessarily about the score and the competition at all as much as just the time together. You played sports growing up. You, uh, you were a boxer. You've played baseball. You've played football, obviously golf. Any most proud moments as an athlete? I know you're going to laugh because you never refer to yourself as an athlete. I understand that, but I, <laughs> I, I, I do know that you, you were probably a little bit better than you're willing to admit. Um, anything stand out to you in, in your past in any of those sports or you know, just most notable <laughs> moments? I, 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 offhand, I can't think of any uh, achievement pride. <laughs> <laughs> no trophies for uh, 30 points in the game in basketball. Huh? Well, I did. I did play on the high school golf team where we won the Southern California championship. That's I, right. Uh, there were, there were three of us, let's see. Uh, no, there were four of us that uh, kind of rotated uh, one, two, three, and four positions, depending on how we were doing that week. I wasn't usually number one, but once in a while, <laughs> uh, anyhow, the other three all wound up in professional golf. Wow. Uh, Leonard Kinnett, Jimmy Griffiths, and Bob Clare are all, uh, uh, as far as I know, to this day, still pros uh, in, yeah. in some form or another with, with golf. So, yeah, wow. yeah, there was that. Well, that's a lot that you're they're all, those three turned out to be pros. You turned out to be pretty darn good at the game. And that in, at 93, 94, you're all still around and, and doing it too, which is pretty awesome. So, that's it wasn't a, football. I, I played <laughs> on the high school. B football team, which was because I was small, <laughs> they did A, B, C uh, football based on your height and weight and, and age. And I never got to the stage where I equaled varsity level in those in my size. <clears throat> so anyway, we had a B football team and we were rated number one uh, going in, we heard. And as a matter of fact, our first game was against Glendale Hoover, which we won uh, seven to six. And uh, where that was the game where I graduated from second to first. Oh, there's an achievement. Hmm, I graduated from <laughs> second to first string and stayed there uh, for the rest, rest of the season. But the end of that story is that we won not one single game after that. <laughs> So you can be the worst player on a great team or the best player on a bad team. Which would you, I always ask players, would you, or friends of mine, and I've thought about that too. Would you rather be the best player on a team that doesn't go anywhere, but get to play a lot or like I did in my senior year in high school, ride the bench all year, but be on a championship team. And I, for me playing a lot would be great, but I would never pass up those memories I had of being on that championship team in 82. I mean, the, the 
friendships I still have with my coach, with the teammates and the memories of being part of something pretty special was pretty cool. And it sounds like that. Was All of you guys, you, Steve, uh, Ken, Jenny and Sandy, you're, you're all better athletes than I was. Wow. I don't know about that. So yeah, you are. Yeah. You could probably still beat me in a foot race. <laughs> Must've been mom. <laughs> there you go. That's right. That's right. All right, mom, I, I got to go back and that, I might edit this part back together. Oh boy. That's my favorite you, subject. Yeah. Life. You didn't, uh, you didn't marry traditionally. Um, no, no, you, it wasn't the walk down the aisle in front of 400 people at the church and uh, the rice thrown on you as you hopped in the limo and headed off to Vegas. You guys headed off to Vegas before you were married. Tell that story. We uh, we were headed toward one of those kind of weddings, but we got into a fight and broke up. And uh, when brother Bob was instrumental in bringing us back together, we made one decision was that we weren't going to have the pressure of a big wedding going to rattle our nerves. And so in our friend Jack Dewey's 1940 Ford, in the middle of one night, we drove toward Las Vegas and wound up getting married, eloping and getting married. Nobody except Jack knew we were going and uh, our parents didn't know. And, uh, Mom thought it was great. Dad thought it was a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He didn't want you to skip college and all of that stuff. Too, right? Yep. You um, you got back, and uh, Mom had uh, her her parents owned the Smith Lodge up at Lake Tahoe, and that's the story <clears throat> I remember it anyway, and and clear up my memory here. She didn't tell her parents at first that you guys had gotten married and she went back up that summer of 48 to work up at the lodge in Tahoe, share whatever memories you, that lodge actually still stands. It has a different name to this day, but, uh, we, Lorianne and I were up there a couple of years ago and saw it and took some pictures of it and brought back a lot of memories for me because of stories you've told. What can you tell us about that summer and how you eventually won over the love of, of your, uh, in-laws? Uh, that's now Old Bexer's Lodge, by Old the Bexar's, way. That's right. They they have a, uh, a yacht harbor uh, thing across the street on the, on the beautiful Lake Tahoe. And <laughs> what was a great coffee shop is now a storage place for their boats oh, and wow. stuff. <laughs> but the building's still there. Looks nice. I, I sat on a bench one time and just looked at it and, and uh, reminded myself of what it once was. Hmm. Well, okay, that was a summer. Uh, Elaine's mom was ne never crazy about me. Um, and she had good reason after many promises to get Elaine home on time from <laughs> dates, uh, probably never kept one. Uh, and uh, over time, my relationship with mom eroded. Uh, but I wound up working for her at Lake Tahoe for a week and we became the best of pals. Uh, she taught me really how to fry cook and uh, uh, well, no, that's not true either, because I had been a fry cook at the pantry drive-in part-time while I was in college, so I knew a little bit, but she was a pro, and uh, we had a, we had a wonderful week up there, and and uh, got got very very close. You know, I love Lake Tahoe. Yeah, we do too. It's beautiful up there, and I still uh, yeah. If I people say if you go back in time and tell your relatives to do something differently, what would it be? And I say I would have told Bammy my grandma, mom's mom, yeah. don't sell the lodge. 
That could, yeah. yeah, that could be a a, a heart hotel with uh, you know lots of lots of revenue coming in, but that's all right. It's beautiful memories there. As we start to kind of, I mean, it's impossible to sum up ninety four years in a one hour interview, and I feel a little bit guilty cutting it off. Yeah. I, and we don't need to cut it off because again, I'll edit and put it into a few different episodes. Um, there are about three or four more major topics that I'd like to bring up real quick. Talk okay. about talk about the why behind the trash hauling business when we were, when I was a little guy. The, I'm sorry, the why the what? You started the trash hauling business for a little while there. Our, our little family, our little venture into family. Oh, business. good question, isn't it? Yeah, we both loved that one. Um, well, I I thought that. Uh, you guys would, would benefit from a some hard work, some discipline, and some knowledge of business. Uh, so the uh, one of the solutions was that let's uh, get ourselves a little tiny pickup. I think it was called a Datsun then mm-hmm. pickup truck, wasn't it? Yep, I think so. And we put an ad in uh, the penny saver <laughs> thing was was around then. Yep. Maybe even in the register. I don't know. Uh, we'll haul your trash any load for what $25 was it I was five I don't know could have been a million dollars it probably was to me at five years old sure but we went and and hauled trash quite a bit which matter of fact we wound up keeping I was gonna say I think I thought maybe you did it because we needed some furniture (laughs) yeah we we kept chairs and and, uh, took others others away and yeah a great memory that, yeah, that was, and I think Ken worked with us too on that, didn't he? Yeah, I do have memories of that for sure. Yeah, I think Steve had already moved on to college and so forth. Yeah, Steve was gone. You and I and Ken doing that quite a bit when I was a little guy. Um, yep. All right, so let me put these last couple questions in order here. I guess I'll. I want to talk about your. Uh, hard to say quickly your faith journey, but I do want to get into that a little bit. I want to talk about if there's anything in your 94 years that you'd have done differently and uh, ultimately how you want to be remembered when all is said and done. So let's go first into your faith journey. Just take us anywhere your mind takes us or takes you in talking. Oh, about, yeah, that, I know you said that mom, you, you, you believed that mom, you know, she told you on her deathbed, you're not my mom, but your mom, um, stay close to Christ. A few years yeah. passed from that day till the day that you say you accepted Christ <laughs> in your life. But uh, just take us through that. I didn't actually... Uh, in, in my mind now, come to know uh, Christ as my Lord and my Savior and until I was 66 years old. I had thought that I knew plenty, uh, and in fact, I didn't. And uh, uh, now that I've had a chance to study basically with Dr. McGee for the 80s, many years since then, from the t- age 66 until nine, now nine, 94 this week. Yep. Uh, yeah, the thing I would have done differently would have been to do come, come to Christ and uh, a love, a passion for the Bible much earlier. I think it would have been wonderful for you kids. And uh, I missed that opportunity. And uh, that's, that's, that's the one thing that I really would do different the thing that i would do the same is the same thing and the other thing i would do exactly the same is is mary elaine i remember once when we were young and we had a fight i i did even pray then 
that if I could just be in the same room with her, uh, I'd settle for that. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We grew up knowing how, how important mom was to you and you were to mom. That's for sure. That Still was is, a, yeah. an example of, uh, I, I, um, in the spirit of being completely candid here with you and with anybody that listens to this, um, I've been married once before. It lasted about six years. It didn't end well. It didn't really start well either. Um, you know, we tend to only remember the good things in the past and, you know, we could go into that, but, uh, I blame myself a lot for that failed marriage. And jokingly, I blame you and mom for that because you and mom made it look so easy that I went into it at age 22 thinking, well, number one, I'm a year older than my dad was when he got married. So I'm ready for marriage. And number two, it just is, it's easy. And anybody listening today knows that that's, that's kind of a joke. Marriage is not easy. It takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of sacrifice and it takes a lot of trust and love. And, and, um, you and mom just always made it look so easy. And, and I've now learned with Lorianne, we've, we've, uh, we both know because we've both been through it before and now we're coming up on 28 years married. Uh, and, uh, it's just, it hasn't all been fantastic, but it all is fantastic. And so that's, uh, you know, it takes a lot of work and a lot of, a lot of bumpy roads to get to a beautiful destination where, where you and mom took it and where my wife and I certainly are today as well. And so, uh, I thank you. I, I jokingly blame you for, the mistakes I made, but deep in my heart, I thank you for, for teaching me what, it, what a really great marriage can look like. And so try to pattern ours after, after you guys in a, in a big way. So I appreciate that. So 66 years old, your faith journey and your words starts. Tell us how that happened. Uh, Steve had been a born again Christian for years and oftentimes had urged me to do more and I always said, hey, I'm already there. Don't bother me. And uh, But at one time he asked me if I would go, wanted, would go with him on a bike ride uh, with his men's group where we would camp and ride our bikes down the California, I'm sorry, the Oregon coast uh, from far north on the coast. I forget the exact town uh, down to the southern most part of, of Oregon. I don't think we got actually across the border into the Crescent City, California area. But at any rate, uh, we rode and camped every night. Uh, and I saw a bunch of men have more fun and have more meaning uh, and uh, than anything I'd ever experienced. In all of my joyful life, this just stood out. They would uh, yell and have fun and work hard on the bike ride. And then that night have the most meaningful Bible studies around the campfire with uh, knowledge that I could hardly believe uh, all these thugs had. Uh, they, they were students. Uh, and, and I thought, I want that. So we came home, finished the week-long trial. I went to a uh, an actual Bible study with them, most of them, and some others too, uh, on a Friday morning at the Weed Berean Church with Steve. And on the way home, it had all bubbled up in me to where I said, Steve, I want what you guys have. And so I, uh, uh, with Steve's prompting, said uh, the sinner's prayer, and I sure was one. Uh, I'm not embarrassed about that. We all are. Um, 
and and from then on uh, have, have been uh, a born again Christian, which is me. That that identifies me. It just hit me <clears throat> just now as you said that sixty six years old would have put you in nineteen ninety three. 1993 is the year that Lorianne and I got married. So both of our lives changed much for the better that same year. So mm -hmm. that, that's pretty cool. It never even occurred to me that that was that timing. So, well, I'm grateful mm -hmm. to my oldest brother, Steve, for being that example to you as he has been for me as well. Uh, I want to ask you two more questions and then um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'll end the episode with those questions, but then I'm going to keep recording because I, before we finish, I, I, I'm going to take advantage of the moment I have here with you and don't do it now, but when we're done, I'm going to ask you. So start in the back of your mind as you're answering these questions I'm going to ask, but when we okay. finish, when we finish, I'm going to ask you to deliver a message one by one to each of your kids. Okay. But, uh, oh, good. We'll record that and send it to them, but I'm not going to put oh, that in the wow. podcast. I just want to have that personally for our family. Oh, good. Before I, before I go there, um, you're 94. Be a pleasure. You're, this, this is going to air on Thursday, January 28th, 2021, your 94th birthday. What, um, what's next? What do you have? What, what goals? I'm curious what a 94-year-old, whether you're my dad or not, what goals do you still have that you haven't reached or what do you still hope to accomplish in your life or see happen before you finally get to go back to mom and Jesus? I want to live for Christ, and uh, that's it. And uh, whatever comes up right now, it's uh, picking up and delivering with your help wheelchairs for Johnny Erickson Tata. It's a it's a job I love. It's it's just hand work, and and I love it. And uh, I also have the joy of uh, being a sermon summarizer for my Sunday school group, and that forces me to put uh, usually really good uh, 45 minute sermons in five minutes wow. uh, and, and tell them each week. And uh, so that puts the brain certainly to, to work. And I love that one. Uh, those are, those are keeping me uh, occupied now. And, uh, Oh gosh, I, I have a bike uh, and I've got a new power assist motor on it. And I'm absolutely loving uh, the opportunity now to go, bigger, further places with, with that bike. And, uh, those are, those are kind of what's in front of me right now that I, I'm, I'm happy. If any of you listening today live in or around Fullerton, California, and you see a, a young 94 year old gentleman on a three wheel recumbent bicycle with a little flag up behind him, that's my dad. And uh, I have a lot of friends who have actually, when they found out said, I've seen him up and down Dorothy lane. That's your dad. Yeah. Oh, wow. He's, he's such a, such a, an example, a, a name that I hadn't thought about and didn't have in my notes. Um, and you're going to laugh when I say the name, it's not a person talk about bogey. Bogey was our dog. Oh my gosh. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I knew that. How much that time do we have? I know. Bogey died the same year mom died earlier uh, because he just got too old. He could no longer could get up on his own. I'd have to get him up and then with pain. So uh, one of the hardest things ever was having to put Bogey uh, down and into heaven. Well, we picked up Bogey from a pet store when he was, what, four, three, maybe? He was, yeah, just and a few had months, him, yeah. Had him until he was 14 or 
or 15. And uh, for most of those years, uh, Bogey went with me on the daily bike ride mm -hmm. um, uh, on a leash. And, uh, and he knew the basic commands. I think the thing which gave me the most joy, he was a brilliant dog, half Aussie Shepherd, half Border Collie. Yeah. And he loved mom. And uh, Bogey, when I would be in the yard and mom, after her strokes, was in the house and uh, maybe in bed, if she needed something and he knew it, Bogey would come after me mm -hmm. and circle me till I came back and uh, did whatever she needed. He knew uh, all, all about that. He was just a brilliant family dog. Everybody loved Bogey. Yeah. His ashes are still in the backyard as our moms. And uh, yeah, that dog was uh, pretty special for all of us. So lots and lots yeah. of stories there. Well, as we wrap up, um, what would you like to have on your tombstone? I know that we're going to, you know, when the time comes, your ashes will be in that same rose garden on the side yard next to mom. But what would be engraved on that rock above yours wow. or have you thought about that whether it's a verse or a no, phrase about, about you that. good don't think about it yet then i'm sorry i went there <laughs> okay i but, will uh, think about that yeah it's going to be some bible verse and i have several that from time to time i've labeled as my life verse you know yeah yeah so I know there are a lot of areas and there's probably family members screaming into this right now going, you didn't ask about this. You didn't ask about this. And I, I apologize <laughs> that I didn't. I, I've, I think I've hit everything in my notes. So if I missed it, it's because I didn't put it in my notes. But um, Jack Hart, uh, one of my, probably my greatest role model in my life. Can't say probably, I'll take probably out of there. Uh, definitely the greatest role model, human role model I've ever had in my life. And many people would say the same thing. Um, as you know, because you've listened to a, a handful of my podcasts over the year that I've done this now, you are episode number 51 or 52, 52. Um, I'll finish this recording part before we get into the personal family stuff we'll talk about that we won't air for sure. everybody to listen to. I'll just simply say, Jack Hart, what's in your heart right now? that uh, you're joining in the swamp today because you've had such notables on here as Fred Clare, <laughs> uh, the, 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 the greatest knuckler that we ever saw uh, at uh, Dodger Stadium. Charlie Huff, sure. Charlie Huff, we've had him on here. Ken, Ken Blanchard, did I already mention Ken? You hadn't no, yet, I didn't. yeah. Uh, Ken Blanchard, uh, oh my golly, uh, who, oh, um, uh, Dr. Virgie, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, with crowds like that, what are you doing? No, come on now. With an old 94 year old that, uh, hangs out with a recumbent bicycle. Huh. <laughs> All right. So you've bragged about the other people, but let's go back to my question. Now what's in your heart right now? Just what, what, Jesus what, Christ, yeah. Jesus Christ. 